Today from the Global Lane, good news from the journalist who faced prison time and threats for exposing Chinese espionage in Japan. Thank you, um, Mr. Gary Lang and uh, CBN. Probably you saved my life. Legal battles loom over the federal vaccine mandate. Can the government require vaccinations without violating freedom of religion? The answer is yes. And the key to overcoming declining church membership. The entire uh, story of the decline of the church is really first the decline of family. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Last month, we told you about the Japanese Julian Assange, an investigative journalist in Tokyo who exposed Chinese spying and theft against Japan and the United States. Moe Fukada faced three years in prison for disclosing the Japanese officials were involved. She joins us now from Tokyo to discuss some new developments in her case. Also with us is Congressman Yoshiaki Harada, a Japanese assemblyman who has helped Ms. Fukada. First, Moe, it's good to talk to you again. But you have some good news for us. Explain what has happened. Um, thank you so much. I need to thank, thank, thank you, um, Mr. Gary Lang and uh, CBN. Probably you saved my life because Tokyo prosecutor decided not to prosecute me. What did? What were you told by the prosecutor? It's very strange. When I gather people in front in front of Tokyo prosecutor's office, there were more than 650 people gathering for me. And I told them I want to submit people's signature for me, not to prosecute me. And the uh, prosecutor told me, they don't want to accept our my supporters' signatures, so they decided not to prosecute me. Well, that's certainly good news. We're thankful for that. Congressman Harada, when we talked yes. to you last month, you assured us that you would help see that Moe Fukada would not go to prison. What did you do? What response did you get from your colleagues uh, in the government? Oh. I tried not so much, but uh, still, I got in touch with the uh, prosecutor's office member, and then, uh, but still, uh, I'm very impressed with the uh, Skada Maya Moya's uh, uh, attitude. Uh, she was always pursuing the truth. Moe, is Chinese spying against your country and the United States and Japan subsiding now? Uh, since you disclosed the theft of F-15 and F-35 fighter jet technology, how serious yes. is your government about preventing more Chinese theft, in your opinion? Yes. Um, because Chinese army doesn't show their, their PLA, their army in Japan. They are acting like, uh, acting as a private company. They bought some of Japanese big companies and Chinese army. Chinese army is inside the Japanese Japanese company, such as a Panasonic semiconductor. My fight is not ended yet. My fight is just started.
this moment, I need to expose those Chinese spy network in Japan because I need to protect my country and uh, our Japanese alliance, such as U.S. Well, we appreciate you trying to protect the United States as well. And Congressman Harada, I've got to ask you about another threat facing Japan. That is North Korea. Kim Jong-un mm -hmm. recently launched two ballistic missiles into the sea, not far from your country. What should be That's done about that? Oh, that is a great threat to the, to the Japanese uh, uh, country. North Korea is just something uh, we can't help, you see. They are just uh, no, no way of uh, controlling them not by, by now. But with the help and uh, with the efforts of the uh, President Biden and American people, uh, North Korea and Kim Jong-un must be, uh, must be uh, uh, controlled. And finally, Moe, I know it isn't over for you. You said you're going to continue this fight. You have yes. received some I threats against your life. Are you still facing danger? How concerned are you about your safety? Yeah, I'm still concerned about my life, but I need to protect my country for my family and my friends and my supporters and, uh, and the people in Japan. So, as you mentioned about North Korea missile, I need to say one thing. All the technology is coming from Japan because North Korean missile heads material is coming from Taiwan, but the Taiwanese technology is coming from Japan. So, Japanese must control our advanced technology, not to go to uh, North Korea, not to go to China, because we need to protect our country and our alliance, such as the United States. And if anyone knows the effects of a nuclear uh, attack, it is certainly our friends in Japan. Okay, Moe Fukada and Congressman Yoshiaki Harada, thank you again yes. for joining us from Tokyo. We appreciate you. When President Biden announced his federal vaccine mandate, he said religious exemptions would be allowed. But around the country, people are already reporting that their religious exemption requests are being rejected. PJ Media detailed a list of questions being asked of employees at Cedars-Sinai Hospital. Among them, personal questions like, explain where and how you adhere to your beliefs, practices, and observances, and whether they have strengthened or diminished over time. And if you have a spiritual leader, has he or she addressed the issue? Well, are questions like that legal? Joining us with more is Kent Johnson. Mr. Johnson is Senior Corporate Advisor for Religious Freedom and Business for the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. Kent, thank you for taking time to provide some insights from Houston. So what do you think? Are religious exemption questionnaires like that legal? The answer is probably, but there's some problems. Uh, that's what lawyers always say. You have to forgive me for that. But the basic question, of course, can a company, uh, can, can the government require vaccinations without violating freedom of religion? The answer is yes. Uh, Supreme Court cases have said that the right to practice religion doesn't include the liberty to expose the community to communicable disease ill health and death. So the bottom line is that though there can be an exemption, uh, there has to be a, uh, 
a genuine religious belief. The exception, the obligation is, or the objection has to be based on religious grounds, and it has to be based on a sincere religious ground. And that's the question that's being asked here. What, what, you're, what these uh, employers are asking is, you know, is this really a religious objection or is it simply based, I say simply, is it based on other rationales? Now, uh, I, I think it's important to note there are lots of different laws in different states. We have 47 states that explicitly give exemptions for religious reasons. Now, the federal law is going to give an exemption for religious reasons, but the, but the parameters of that, just how far it reaches, have yet to be determined in the courts. That's something that is, uh, that is just being figured out at this point. So, so how do you think these religious exemptions will work? Do people need notes or forms signed by their pastors, rabbis, imams? You know, in most cases, uh, companies are not going to be insisting on that. It'd be a rare situation. Now, I understand in the medical field, there's a different story. Uh, the risks uh, are perceived as more severe there by the employers. I would uh, suggest to your readers that they kind of put themselves in the shoes of the companies. Um, they're kind of in trouble either way, if they give easy exemptions just based on somebody's uh, desire not to, not to get the vaccine or uh, distrust of uh, the people who mandated the vaccine, if they allow that without a religious uh, foundation, then many, many people will get the exemption. And they run the risk that if there's a breakout of COVID, they'll be uh, accused of creating an environment was, which was unsafe. But the other side of that is true also. If they mandate that everybody's got to get this vaccine and somebody has a negative reaction to the vaccine, they might be sued uh, for um, uh, damage to health, you know, for, for a um, uh, workplace injury they could, mandated. They could be held liable for that. Now, Pastor Jackson Lehmeyer of Sheridan Church in Tulsa is actually signing religious exemption, exemption forms for people joining or donating to his church. Aren't practices like that a bit risky? How could you prove someone's a faithful Christian who should be awarded an exemption just because they made a donation to a church? What's the fraud potential here? Well, I think, I think there is a serious eye raising that ha happens in a situation like that. How, how can we believe uh, that that's a legitimate uh, religious ground? In fact, the mainstream religions, there's not one that I'm aware of other than Christian science uh, and a few uh, small ones that would have a legitimate religious reason not to receive the vaccine. You know, if somebody um, accepts a vaccine for measles and then says, but this other vaccine, I don't think that's good. What is the theological ground for that, uh, that objection? I think I think it's shaky. Uh, I think, uh, you know, there has to be credibility. And as Christian believers, we've got to, you know, uh, be honest in the way that we seek exemptions. All of that said, you know, there are several states that allow exemptions for philosophical reasons, not connected with religion. And of course, you have medical exemptions if your doctor feels that it's dangerous for you to do this.
And so I think all of that is going to play in the litigation that follows. Um, it's hard to predict, quite frankly. What's important, though, I think, is that people who have reservations about this should have freedom to express those reservations. When they're shut down, when they're prohibited from expressing their concerns, this is not necessarily a religious concern, but any concern, that is dangerous territory. And shutting it down is uh, dangerous. Okay, Kent Johnson, Senior Corporate Advisor for Religious Freedom and Business for the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. Thank you for sharing your time and insights. Thanks. We appreciate it. Glad to be with you. Broken homes, broken society, absent fathers, and dysfunctional families. It's all having an impact on our churches. Attendance in America is dropping. So where are our churches falling short? What's the way back? Well, here to set us straight is J.P. DeGance, founder and president of Communio and co-author of the new book, Endgame, the church's strategic move to save faith and family in America. Let's talk about this downward trend in church membership and attendance. I know it began long before the pandemic, so why is it happening? Yeah, Gary, well, thank you so much for having me. The Ultimately, what's fueling the entire decline of church attendance and active faith in the West and in America in particular is actually the collapse of marriage and the family. And, and uh, we chart that in the book and demonstrate that from the social sciences and the psychological sciences. And of course, we, we back that up with scripture that, uh, that the entire uh, story of the decline of the church is really first the decline of family. As the family has been going, uh, the church has been in uh, rapid decline following uh, the decline of marriage. So it's really a reflection of what's happening in our culture. So let's, let's talk some specifics here. How about youth? You estimate the church and youth-targeted Christian ministries spend about $2 billion annually to evangelize yeah, and disciple idea. young people, yet surveys show that more than a third of millennials have no religious affiliation. So you believe that's smoke, more than smoke. What's the fire at the heart of this alarming trend? Yeah, you're absolutely right. We go into it. Uh, we, in a very conservative estimate, we find that the church is spending at least $2 billion annually. That's a very conservative estimate that likely is as high as 4 to $6 billion annually on youth, uh, youth ministry, youth discipleship, youth evangelization. Uh, the untold story is that a millennial and a baby boomer is just as likely to go to church every single week if I know one thing about both people. If the millennial grew up in a continuously married home and the baby boomer grew up in a continuously married home, they're just as likely to go to church each and every week. The big change is the collapse of family structure. And this is ultimately the fuel driving and creating the fire of faith, uh, the fire that's ravaging faith in our country. And, and our message to the church is uh, unless we put the fire out in the home, put the fire out in the family, we're not going to be able to, to stop the, the, the decline of faith in our country. So how has technology, especially texting and social media, affected relationships and attitudes for young people, the, the attitudes and relationships they have concerning sex and marriage? Uh, it's certainly playing a factor. And, and, you know, taking a step back, me and my co-author, Dr. John Van Epp, are able to chart that what we've had over the last 60 years is really the decoupling of, of sex from marriage, the decoupling of parenting from marriage. And as that's happened, uh, fatherhood, what we know in the social sciences is while there are 
great single dads out there. Generally speaking, an unmarried dad is an uninvolved dad. And when a child doesn't attach to a father, it's really hard for that child to grasp salvation history, that, that actually, uh, that they can know that there's a heavenly father who, who loves them. If, if that becomes a really hard thing to grasp if they've never experienced the love of a father in the home. That's what we're seeing. And, and the church has been unengaged so far. I think this is good news for us, actually. 85% of churches in our Barna survey reported spending 0% of their annual ministry dollars on marriage and relationship ministry. And uh, uh, if, if we got engaged here in a really strategic way, we could produce a major, a major shift. Uh, the, the rates of marriage have declined 30, there are 31% fewer people getting married each and every year. When you compare today to the year 2000, 61% fewer getting married uh, today than in the year 1970. And uh, we can no longer uh, approach marriage ministry as a ministry to people who are uh, already married or coupled up. We have to actually extend that. We use the, the terminology of a full circle approach to relationship ministry and, and really be inclusive of single ministry. And how do we help folks form and discern uh, relationships? And we go into, uh, my co-author does a great job of going into uh, his attachment model that helps uh, an individual uh, form the right uh, cadence of a, of a healthy relationship. Okay, a 911 strategy, a big task ahead for churches and some strategies to employ uh, to reverse this alarming societal trend. The book is Endgame, the church's strategic move to save faith and family in America. J.P. DeGantz, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thank you so much, Gary. Great to be with you. President Biden delivered his first address as president to the United Nations this week. But it was the lack of substance on the issue of religious freedom that caught my attention. The president explained that his speech comes at a time of great pain, but extraordinary possibility. This is a decisive decade for the world, he said. Biden urged the global community to act together on a number of issues, including COVID-19, climate change, infrastructure, and individual rights. We almost call out and condemn the targeting and oppression of racial, ethnic, and religious minorities when it occurs in, whether it occurs in Xinjiang or northern Ethiopia or anywhere in the world. We all must defend the rights of LGBTQI individuals so they can live and love openly without fear, whether it's Chechnya or Cameroon or anywhere. So President Biden missed a golden opportunity here to address specific human rights violations. And instead of exposing the criminal acts of the offending nations, he decided to punt. It seems the president of the United States is more concerned about advancing the rights of the LGBTQ community than he is the religious liberties of oppressed people around the world. Instead of using the gigantic global platform to his advantage, Joe Biden treated his presidential soapbox like it was a microscopic step stool. There is no mention of the elephant in the room, communist China. Only hours before Biden's speech, the head of China's mission to the UN forcefully spoke out about what he says are arbitrary detentions and serious human rights violations in Canada, Australia, and the United States. Well, I guess he isn't familiar with the Sermon on the Mount and the words of Jesus who said, hypocrite, 
First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's Matthew 7, 5. China's communist officials have plenty of planks in their eyes. Just ask the ethnic Uyghur people. As many as three million of them are brutally detained, suffering in forced labor and re-education camps. And how about Christian journalist, former lawyer Zhang Zhan? She's on a hunger strike and in poor health, serving four years in the Shanghai City Women's Prison. Last December, a court sentenced her to four years in prison for, quote, picking quarrels and provoking trouble. Her crime? She actually traveled to Wuhan and reported the truth about COVID-19 and the health crisis there. Prosecutors accused Ms. Zhang of publishing large amounts of fake news. She reportedly told her former lawyer that she regretted not spending more time reading the Bible prior to her imprisonment. Nonetheless, Zhang is encouraged by the scripture that she is now reading in her prison cell. She reportedly is fond of John 12:24, which says, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Folks, Zhang Zhan is at risk of becoming a seed. Urgent prayer is needed. According to China Aid, she now weighs less than 90 pounds. She's at risk of dying. Meanwhile, the Chinese Communist Party's crackdown against Christians and churches continues. This banner in Shangxi offers people a reward, the equivalent of $310 if they report illegal religious activities. And Public Security Bureau police recently interrupted and sabotaged the fifth anniversary celebrations of Shenzhen Trinity Harvest Gospel Church. The PSB apparently feared church leaders were planning to baptize people in the ocean. So they pressured hotel management to cancel the rooms reserved by the church members. Folks, where are the U.S. President and Secretary of State in all of this? If this truly is a decisive decade for the world, as Mr. Biden suggests, he needs to begin with a sincere, forceful, and determined commitment to religious freedom and God-given rights. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.